Welcome back. As Josh said, I'm going to be uh, looking at Hebrews 9. We're going to be looking at verses 13 and 14 together. So if you just turn there with me, it's Hebrews 9, verses 13 and 14. On the 19th of December, 2008, you may remember where you were, but it was a very special evening for me. My friends and my family, we were all together uh, in a really small Italian restaurant in a place called Brighton in England, and all of Laura's family and friends were there too. I was in nice jeans, my favorite shirt, I was relaxed, the food was great, and this evening came at the end of a really busy and tiring year. Lots of anticipation, doing different things, fulfilling certain requirements, wearing different things, eating certain foods, trying them, not doing other things, choosing to invite certain people or to sing or maybe not sing certain songs. But these things, they were all pointing forward. All these choices, all obstacles were helpful. They were required. They were necessary. But as I sat there in that Italian restaurant, it was the night before my wedding. The next day in what ways I wasn't quite sure on that night, my life would change. We had to go through something. We were about to go through it together. Something final, a ceremony, an act that would see the anticipation fulfilled, the change made final. A new life would begin the next day, and on the other side, a new covenant would be made. And all that went before that day would have a wonderful but entirely necessary line drawn under it. I was still me and Laura would still be Laura, but there would be a shift. A change would come and the way we lived and who we lived for and in many ways, especially for Laura, her legal status and even her name would change. I tell you this because I think that in some way this is what we see in our text tonight with Jesus coming as a new and greater high priest. Offering himself as the the perfect sacrifice and pouring out his own blood. The Christian with faith placed only in Christ and not on his or her own striving now enters the wedding ceremony. The bride of Christ forever with him, forever changed. No longer hoping or anticipating, but knowing that it is finished and a new life begins. This is the reality for a Christian. Let me read our text, and we're just going to jump straight in. So Hebrews 9, 13 to 14 reads, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. I think the main point of our passage this evening and really the driving force of our sermon is that without Christ, you are declared a slave. And with Christ, you are freed to serve. Without Christ, you are declared a slave. And with Christ, you are freed to serve. We're going to just spend a short time looking at these two states that we have, and these are going to be our two points. So dead works, point one, and living service. Dead works and living service. Our passage really sits in an important and complex and really liberating 
but difficult book aimed at Jewish people who for centuries have been living under this system of sacrifice. And really this is where our our first point, dead works, begins. There are so many things that the Jews had to do under the old covenant. You probably read about them. We're talking blood offerings, non-blood offerings, sin offerings, guilt offerings, fellowship offerings, grain and drink offerings, bloody and messy and smelly and difficult and seemingly never-ending sacrifices. We read about bulls and goats. There are defiled persons even mentioned here that are outside the camp in quarantine. They've been sprinkled with a mixture of water and red cow ashes. Of course, a a classic combination. But this is what God required at this time. These were not a final fix. And our author here, he's, he's not dismissing them, but saying that they point forward. They point forward to something greater. Under the law, because of sin, all the wrong things that people had done, the separation and rebellion against God, there has to be a price paid. There had to be a price paid then and now. Blood had to be poured out. For a time, this in the Old Testament before Jesus, it was these wild, terrifying, and regular sacrifices. They were what was required. I think we see glimpses of That kind of thing today as we look at how other religions work and operate. Even those who don't have religion striving to save yourself. Working hard for your own salvation, your own satisfaction to achieve it on your own terms. By your own means. Or maybe we're so close to sin that we really just stink and smell like rotten food or rotten flesh just fading away and dying. Friend, is this you? Does this describe your life and your striving and your working hard? Or just your utter enjoyment and dependence on sin? Are you just working hard to maybe try and please God in your day-to-day? If so, then You're in the same spot as your Muslim or your Hindu or Roman Catholic friend that is simply trusting in themselves and their own dead works. The author here, verse 13, is saying at this point, this this is what God required. On the outside, sprinkling water and ash on somebody really did have a purifying effect on the flesh. On the outside, the person was, at this point, ritually clean in obedience. We're now being told that what is required has changed. It has been fulfilled. The bar was always high, of course. We know that. Read the the book of Hebrews and you'll see the importance of priests and cleanliness of washing feet and body parts and not eating certain things and that every year more was required because it was never enough on its own. This former obedience and sacrifice had its time, but... It's time was done. It is finished. This book is written for most of you here. It's written for the Christian. It's written for the newly converted Jew, the following, uh, those following Jesus and trusting in him alone for their salvation and not trusting in themselves or their dead works. They knew that Christ was enough, but they were struggling. Do you know this? Or are you working really hard for your own salvation? Let me ask you, is 
the blood of Jesus Christ enough for you? Is the blood of Jesus Christ enough for you? Think about your week. Think about your lowest moment. How about you at your very worst this week? Now think about the highs of this week. Think about when you were obedient and you had a thankful heart and you just rejoiced gleefully, gladfully in the Lord. Perhaps you've had neither of these. Perhaps it's just been a kind of week. I don't know how you arrive here tonight, but Christian, you bring nothing to the table. In his glory and in his joy, if you're a Christian here today, then when God looks at you, he sees Christ. We cannot dare, we must not dare forget the cost of this, the weight and the mercy and love that is this righteousness. That's what you are now clothed in as Christ's perfect gift to you. But at that cost, again, the high priest in the old covenant, he did this once a year. Not on his own strength, not on his own merit or his own righteousness. Verse 7 just above reminds us that he's done this to atone, not just for the, the all too familiar, I think for us, unintentional sins of the people, it says. But wait for it carries on and not without taking blood and there's more says which he offers for himself he's doing this for himself as well he needed the sacrifice for himself this was his only job this was all that he did day in and day out and even he was not good enough he was in there regularly and even he needed this himself Friends, this is the same for your pastors here, for me and for Josh, for John and for Oliver. We are simply sinners saved by grace. Please do not kid yourself this evening that you, do, that you don't need to be reminded of the gospel. The fact that you need to know that, yes, you are a sinner. Like we heard this morning, we must remember who we are. But that also, yes, Christ, the great high priest, Verse 12 says, by means of his own blood secured you an eternal sanctification. And then verse 14 reads, more than the bulls and the goats and the cattle, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is for each of us here in this room. This is for all of us. There is no one here, none at all that is any different you never graduate from this point you never move past the gospel i know that we all feel the temptation to to strive and to to try and achieve things on our own merit this really just leads to our second point living service in verse 14 living service i want to tell you about something really silly and that recently i started a ping pong ladder in our office the staff and the interns are just ranked vertically on a list and to move up the ladder you can only challenge someone two spots ahead of you and you have to beat them by 11 points and then you guys swap places all of a sudden those at the top are middle and then those at the bottom become in the middle and those quickly drop and change man the noise (laughs) and the fire the near tears this ladder has produced this week, the last two weeks. 
Some are shaking their heads even now. It's incredible. Loud have been the cries of, look what I have done. Look at where I have got to. Look at where my name is on the ladder. Isn't that just the same for each of us every day? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just bitter that I'm only halfway up the ladder. But I don't think this stuff is unusual. I think we truly love, we love to point to the ladder and say, look, look what I've done. Look at the position I'm in. Look what I've achieved. We love rules. We love keeping rules. We love beating someone else. Grace is something that is difficult to handle and difficult to accept and difficult to understand. But there is none of us here, friends, that is above the gospel. Friends, your freedom has been purchased by the precious blood of Christ. Please, I'm begging you here tonight. Don't think that, man, if only, if only I could lead a growth group or if only I could be a deacon or if only I could be an elder or maybe a a missionary or a focus worker or preach now and again or even a full-time evangelist, then I would have achieved something as a Christian that I wouldn't struggle anymore with this sin or that pride or anything else. Friends, the the book of Hebrews is really hitting at Christians and saying, remember the gospel. Don't turn away from Jesus. Those other priests couldn't and neither can you. Christian, God wants your heart. He's now freed you from slavery so you can, as our verse says, serve the living God. He wants your heart. He wants your worship. That may mean going somewhere else, but for many of you, it may mean just staying right here. It's the posture and not the location of your heart that is important. Your position is secured because the sacrifice Jesus made is not just on the surface. It's not just ceremonial. It's not just for 12 months. He has changed your conscience. He has changed your heart. You are a new person. Nothing can change that. In our verse, we see that because of Jesus Christ, the the system has passed away, bringing freedom and change in a way that the people of God had never experienced or couldn't even fully imagine. Hebrews shows us that Jesus is fully God and fully man, how he is superior to anything or any angel or any person or someone you could even imagine. How Jesus is a creator and sustainer of all things. He is God. He's the second person of the Trinity. Do you realize this? means that what Jesus did and the new covenant he brings, the new promise from God is better, is greater, is superior, whatever other word you want to use to all, everything that has gone before. And all things find their completion and fulfillment in his leaving heaven and coming to earth. The former is finished. The shadows have gone. The light of the world has come. Why did he have to come? Why did he have to leave heaven? Why did Jesus, who is God, have to come to earth as a man and leave perfection? Come and lead a perfect life so that he could be our perfect, unblemished, as our verse says, sacrificial lamb, even pouring out his blood. Well, that's because, and our verse tells us again, he cleanses the conscience of that Christian, giving them a new heart, So, and it says right there, saved from acts that lead to death. 
And this now means they can serve, those that were dead can now serve the living God. If you don't know Jesus, then all of your acts lead to death. It's that simple. Everything you're doing leads to death. If you don't know Jesus Christ, no matter how kind you are, no matter how good you are, no matter how good you are at reading or studying or working or whatever it is that you value, it does not matter what you do in this life if you do not know Christ and have not accepted the salvation he alone can offer. And friends, if you know this, then this is the same, and you must take this away, this is the same for the person you work next to. This is the person you sit next to every day. Is the person you sit across from at work. It's the boss that you don't really like. All of the people around us, going around us in this world, are in this position. We are all born in sin, caused by our rebellion against a perfect God that began in the garden with the first man, Adam. And this is a sin and level of dirt that you can't wash away. It's not just any kind of shower or even ritual or even any other blood sacrifice. This is a defilement. And this is really the best word, defilement, that can only be taken away by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Something he himself is offering to you today. He's promised to save many sinners that call upon his name. And accept that he alone is the only way to salvation. I have to stress, there is no other way you can be made right with God. Not you, not Muhammad, not a sacrifice, not a good deed, nothing. There is nothing else that can save you other than the blood of Jesus Christ. A Christian friend here tonight, perhaps you've arrived tired. Perhaps you're weary from the road you've been walking or even running on. You've been striving in your own strength, trying to add in some way to what Christ has done. I can just get to the prayer and fellowship night. God will love me just a little bit more. If I meet with just one more person for discipleship this week, I just have one more conversation late at night at a cafe, then God will be so pleased. It'll be good and right that he saved me. Be more of a legitimate Christian if I can just do some of these things. Perhaps if I, maybe if I just stay single and devote my life to the Lord alone, only then, maybe then, he'll be truly happy with me. Maybe I should just, maybe I have to move somewhere really difficult. Then, then I'll be found truly committed to Christ. Friend, where, wherever you're at tonight, God is good and he is merciful and he has shown his love for us through sending Jesus Christ. He brings you rest and joy and satisfaction and freedom. I'm still so glad that you're here at this prayer and fellowship night. The freedom that you have been bought by the blood of Christ, press on in the faith and know that amazingly there is more to come. Christ has done this once and for all. It's finished. I think back to my wedding day, there was a shift, a change. We were declared married the next day. From that moment on, nothing was the same. At that declaration by our pastor, we didn't just stop there though. We celebrated 
We left the church. We enjoyed our life and our union together. And we've lived our lives. And this changed since that day. Christian, what is not finished is the life ahead of you. And the reality that waits for you in eternity. You've been saved for God's glory. And it's for him that you must live. You need to live in the change and to recognize what Christ has done and that nothing can change this. Are there sins that maybe set you apart from the people of God? Are there sins you need to confess? Friend, in your freedom, you no longer need to strive and strain to live a perfect life so that you can achieve your own salvation in some way, but equally, you're now not free to just do nothing. I think Luther's suggestion for us that we are to love God and sin boldly is helpful. It means that, yes, Christian, you know you will sin, but you also know that you are saved. You've been saved so that you are now free to worship God without an agenda. You can approach his throne humbly, boldly, confidently. Come to him. You know your place is secure. And so accept This, confess your sin and continue loving God. This is what you need to be doing with others also. Point others to God. Remind them that Christ's sacrifice on the cross is sufficient for their sins yesterday, today, and tomorrow.